Welcome to the first bonus episode of Deep Pacific, a Pacifica podcast that shares Islander views and voices. I'm Kalani Rages, your millennial Indigenous advocate and host. So excited to bring this bonus episode to your beautiful ears and minds and hopefully hearts. We are recording in the second week of July 2020, which, by the way, I loved seeing the Fokai or 4th of July decolonization motorcades going on in different places. I completely support it, though I know not everyone does. Fokai means in Chamorro to fight. I would like to begin with the acknowledgement that I am recording on Guahan, Gi Islas Marianas, currently a territory occupied by the U.S. I'm not from here, so I am a settler. Although I am Chamorro, it is still with respect that I occupy this land and space. Speaking of being a settler, please note that the next bonus episode will be about Article 12 in the CNMI and our land laws, which covers exactly why I call myself a settler while I'm here on Chamorro land. So keep a lookout for that. We begin every episode with a quote from an indigenous person that resonates. Today's quote is an excerpt from Collective Poem by the Cancel Rimpak Coalition, which I will include a link to in the show notes. In a world without militarization, words like colonization and occupation become words used in the past tense. What possibilities emerge when we are free? Islands, a space for creative growth and true security. The entire Pacific Ocean, unafraid to breathe. Dee Kiali'i Mackenzie, an awesome queer indigenous Kanaka Maoli author, a poet facilitator with the Honolulu-based nonprofit Pacific Tongues, who received his master's degree from the University of Hawaii at Manoa in Pacific Islands Studies. This quote resonates because this episode will be about the Rim of the Pacific Exercises, which I will refer to as RIMPAC and their impact on the Kingdom of Hawaii. As this is the first bonus episode, I'm sure you're wondering what the difference between this episode and a regular episode is, so let me enlighten you. A bonus episode is an episode that does a deep dive into a topic specific to one region. And because RIMPAC occurs in Hawaii but affects all of the Pacific, I decided that this would be best suited for that. So my aim for bonus episodes is to provide a platform for specific issues so that we can be more well-informed about what's going on with our Pacifica Familia. So, if you've been listening to the pod, you may recall that in episode one of Identity, the scientific paper I discussed from author Elizabeth DeLawfrey was about RIMPAC, and it paralleled Craig Santos Perez's book entitled Saina, which is actually book two in his From Unincorporated Territory series. Actually, I just ordered one of them and I cannot wait to read it. So if that is all you know about RIMPAC so far, or basically if you would like to know more, you've come to the right place. As this is relevant, I would also like to acknowledge that the Kingdom of Hawaii has been under siege by the United States since the American businessmen conspired to overthrow Queen Liliuokalani in 1893. Their annexation, 1898, and then they became a state against the will of the indigenous Kanaka Maoli in 1959. I stand in solidarity across the Pacific and support my Kanaka Maoli with their fight for sovereignty. On to the episode. 
a little necessary background on RIMPAC. RIMPAC has been occurring every other year in the waters off Hawaii and its effects have been felt throughout our Pacific Islands, water, and people since 1971 during the Nixon administration. This was a tumultuous time, much like today, when there were protests in the U.S. on its involvement in the Vietnam War, which had begun in 1955 and did not end until 1975. Nixon was known for, one, the Watergate scandal, obviously, and two, his focus on foreign affairs by easing Cold War tensions between Russia and China. Funny how he eased tensions in that way, yet gave zero flying fish about Kanaka Maoli. After 1971, RIMPAC was held every year until 1974 when it transitioned into an every-other-year type deal. The first allies were Australia, colonized by the Brits originally, Canada, colonized by the French and the Brits, New Zealand, or Aotearoa, colonized by the Brits, the United Kingdom, the current Brits, and the United States, or former Brits. Am I noticing a pattern? This was a way for a mega-colonizer to control the entire Pacific for their own gain, and I hope that is not lost on anyone. In 2020, one of the biggest realizations of many might actually be that we don't need white people to police us. We just need to defund them and their militaries. Anyway, RIMPAC has increased in scope and complexity since it began and has grown to include a bunch of other countries like... Brunei, Chile, China, Colombia, France, Germany, India, Indonesia, Israel, Japan, Republic of South Korea, Malaysia, Mexico, the Netherlands, Norway, Peru, the Republic of the Philippines. Uh, Philippines is a republic? I thought they were a dictatorship. Russia, Singapore, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Tonga, and Vietnam, with a couple of other countries invited to observe. RIMPAC 2018 brought... 25 nations who were attending, and about 25,000 military personnel, or about half of the average attendance at Disneyland Park, and more than all of the registered student population at the University of Hawaii, according to their website. It also brought 46 surface ships, 5 submarines, over 200 aircraft, and 17 land forces. Sounds like a Christmas song. It is usually conducted in three phases, harbor phase, force integration training phase, and free play phase. That doesn't sound horrible at all, force integration training. These phases include things like bombing or anti-ship missile practice and, you know, blowing up actual ships at sea, uh, anti-submarine warfare, live fire shooting drills, the use of long-range sonar, and much more. <sighs> wow, you okay there? How about you take a drink of water, inhale, exhale, and now I will let Kavena fill you in. Aloha, this is Kavena Kapahua speaking for the, the Deep Pacific podcast. As far as my feelings around RIMPAC, it's obviously mostly a negative one, as I've dedicated a good portion of my time as an activist to stopping it and ending it permanently. Hawaii being, you know, utilized and exploited as a strategic maritime location and an, a point of extreme military importance has had, a, you know, a very detrimental effect on our history. It's the main reason why 
We are currently occupied illegally by the United States of America rather than flourishing as our own independent nation. The desire of the U.S. military to have us as a base, as basically a floating aircraft carrier or a, an extension of its military power, is the reason why they invaded and annexed us. And so, you know, that has had a very negative effect on my people, the Kanakamoli, over the last 127 years of our history. And so, through the continuation of this practice of using us as a strategic maritime location or military location, Hawaiians continue to be displaced in order to house U.S. military members. Our sacred lands and just lands in general continue to be seized in order to use them as firing ranges for bombs and guns and missiles or as pollution dumps for toxic chemicals. They continue to be taken and used for military bases. Over 20% of the land in Hawaii is owned by the U.S. military. Um, and this, of course, contributes to the housing crisis here, but as well as the continued pollution of our lands. For RIMPAC, the fact that almost all of these military training exercises take place in Pacific Islands continues to show that the militaries of the imperialist powers continue to see the Pacific region as nothing more than a military playground and a battlefield. They don't recognize that these are places with living and thriving cultures and peoples and an environment that needs to be protected. And their continued war games and war you know, tendencies in our region continue to have an extremely detrimental effect on our people. And so long as they only see us as a battlefield and a place to be controlled, they will never truly respect us as a people. You can see how RIMPAC especially is used as an indicator for U.S. foreign policy. This year, 2020, the American military has forward deployed multiple submarines as well as multiple aircraft carriers into the Pacific region, primarily aimed at flexing its military muscles at China. China was formally invited to the Rim of the Pacific exercises. It has been disinvited for several years now because of, you know, the ongoing tensions between the United States and China. And so by deploying its attack submarines and aircraft carriers into the Pacific near China, it's American military trying to send a message to China that the Pacific is theirs and not to challenge their hegemony here. And so again, the Pacific is being used as a battlefield for the Imperial Powers war games. Essentially, the Pacific Islands are being used as human shields to protect the American continent, you know, that to make sure that if an attack comes from the east, that whatever power is attacking the United States must go through their human shields that is us, the Pacific Islands, in order to reach them. And, I mean, that basically shows how the U.S. has thought about the Pacific Islands over the past century, two centuries, were nothing more than human shields to them, you know? it's That was shown with the nuclear missile crisis here in Hawaii. Our safety is not a concern for them so long as, you know, we're an early warning system for their continent to protect them against invasion and against threats and death. We're sacrificial lambs to them. And, you know, RIMPAC has, of course, shown that. Uh, the continuous bombing of Hawaiian land, the practiced invasion of Hawaiian land, it's extremely problematic. In addition to this, the RIMPAC war games are also, they're exactly what they are. They're practice for war. And so for the nations that take part in them, it's very concerning the types of exercises you see them do. Obviously, there's the bombings, but also the Indonesian military is one of the nations that takes part. And they are currently engaged in, in an act of genocide against the people of West Papua. You know, so the exercises and the training they're gaining from the RIMPAC, they're directly using to oppress Pacific Islanders right now. They're using to genocide 
Pacific Islanders right now, people of color. The Israeli military sometimes takes part. It's well known that the Israeli military is currently occupying and oppressing the people of Palestine. And so, like again, the training they get at RIMPAC is being used against people of color and oppressed peoples across the world. And that's a great shame for the Hawaiian people because we ourselves are currently being oppressed by the Americans. And so for our lands to not only be taken from us, for us to not even be able to stop the use of our lands to train other imperial powers to oppress people in their own countries within their own claimed borders is shameful. And it's extremely discouraging to know that we are powerless currently to stop the, uh, the use of our lands to help teach other imperial powers to do what the American military has done for several centuries now. The military presence in Hawaii in general has extremely altered our indigenous practices, such as fishing, farming, ranching, all of these things. On my island, Oahu, there is a peninsula called Mokapu in the area of Kaneohe that houses the Marine Corps base here on this island. And uh, they own the entire peninsula. You know, it houses many beautiful beaches and surf spots and fishing. And we can't go there anymore. We're banned from our own lands. Pearl Harbor used to be filled with fish ponds for aquaculture, to raise fish, to feed our families. No longer. It's polluted and destroyed. And, you know, so that's a huge, huge issue. I mean, just the pollution in general uh, in Hawaii from the military is problematic. And their ability to stop our indigenous practices, whether that's ceremony or farming or self-sustaining practices, it's part of the reason why we continue to fight them to this day. And we will fight them until they are gone from our islands altogether. Of course, there are very real effects that RIMPAC has in the community. I mean, you know, the increase of 20,000 military personnel in Hawaii cannot be understated. I mean, that's a lot of people here. On the high point of tourism in the last couple of years, we had over 30,000 people here on any given day. We saw 10 million people visit in a year. So if 30,000 is the high point per day. Adding another 20,000 on top of that is huge. I mean, that's that's a ton of people to add on top of that. It's already overcrowded. And so you see a lot more military personnel around. You see a lot more helicopters and fighter jets flying over. You You see a lot more bombings and live fires. They practice invasions on our beach. It's it's very real. I mean, even now, before RIMPAC's here, in our waters, we're seeing the U.S. military practice amphibious assaults and driving their amphibious assault vehicles around. You see them flying fighter jets and helicopters very low, under 2,000 feet low enough to shake houses shake windows to shake plates in their cabinets you know to shake people's houses all the way down to the foundation that that's the kind of sound we're dealing with and so of course there are conflicting opinions about RIMPAC some people think it's good for the economy you know people are brainwashed unfortunately by America to love the military yeah it's very difficult but of course a future without RIMPAC is what we are aspiring to I myself am a co-organizer of the Cancel RIMPAC Coalition, which is based here in Hawaii, but it's an uh, international coalition of activists and community members and concerned individuals uh, looking to stop militarism. Remember the Pacific exercises to help demilitarize Hawaii eventually? You know, in a world without RIMPAC, especially now during the coronavirus pandemic, it's a safer world. There's this concept of genuine security. Does the military actually make you genuinely feel safer? I would argue it doesn't. I spent some of years of my life in the Middle East. I, I lived in Saudi Arabia for several years, and Hawaii is, from what I have seen, far more militarized, more daily reminders that this is a military-occupied society than in the Middle East. And I lived there during the Arab Spring, and when Iran and Saudi Arabia were very close to going to war, 
And yet, I still see more flyovers of military aircraft. I see more indications of military violence here every day than I did in the Middle East, a region that has been unfortunately racked by war through the imperial powers. A world without RIMPAC is a safer world. You know, we don't have to worry about being made a military target for nuclear bombing or invasion. We don't have to be a military target. We don't have to be a human shield anymore. We don't have to have our lands used and polluted through bombing. We can have them back to use them for sustainable means, for, you know, supporting our communities and society to thrive as a culture. You know, and uh, that's the hope. And I think that we have a real chance to cancel RIMPAC this year and every year going forward and it really needs to be a facet of our activism demilitarization ideologies because if we cancel RIMPAC and we demilitarize Hawaii we force America and many other imperialist powers out of our islands in the Pacific we force them out because Hawaii is unfortunately the linchpin in the American Empire's colonial plan for Hawaii and its military capabilities in the Pacific you know, if you force them out of Hawaii, they lose their capability to hold sway and military grasp over Guam. They lose over the CNMI. They lose their ability to hold their place in the Marshall Islands or in American Samoa. They lose the head of the octopus that's holding all of the Pacific in its grasp. We need to cancel RIMPAC, not only to help Hawaiians, but to help stop the training of the Indonesian military to commit genocide in West Papua the Israeli army to commit atrocities against the Palestinian people. In order to protect all of the Pacific, we must demilitarize Hawaii in order to make sure our Pacific cousins and other oppressed peoples across the world no longer feel the pain and suffering that is taught to imperial militaries here in Hawaii. All right, Sainama Asi for your contribution, Kavena. I appreciate that education and perspective from a Kanaka Maoli. Now that you have heard from Kavena, let me give you my take. So, RIMPAC is unsustainable and has a hugely negative effect on the carbon output, especially of the United States, but luckily, military carbon output is not counted against the U.S.'s total carbon emissions. RIMPAC displaces thousands of marine species or has them act in a way that is unnatural to avoid the area where the exercises take place. Everybody should be aware that Hawaii and, you know, the Pacific Ocean is home to thousands of marine mammals and they use the areas off of Hawaii to spawn, to breed, to live. RIMPAC kills or injures up to thousands of marine organisms. And that was also mentioned in the first episode on identity when we were talking about that paper. RIMPAC disturbs and destroys the environment where exercises take place. It involves clearing land to have access for firing ranges, putting up fencing to keep the environment contained, and thereby also separating wildlife on either sides of a fence. These exercises also alienate the indigenous Kanaka Maoli and everybody else who calls Hawaii their home. They are not able to have access to these places because they are being used as live firing ranges. These exercises cost American taxpayers. They cost Hawaiian taxpayers. They use fuel, manpower, and munitions from these 25 or so countries that participate. In the media, RIMPAC and other similar exercises are often glorified as a 
quote-unquote show of force to showcase the brute strength of American imperialism or imperialism of other nations. It is also important to remember who owns the media. Many media outlets in Hawaii are settler-owned and therefore they push imperialist and pro-military agendas without consideration. I personally love to pay attention to and support the Honolulu Civil Beat. Also, check out their podcast called Offshore Podcast. It really goes into detail into a lot of Hawaiian historical cases and history and wrongs. Link will be in the show notes. Kavena says that Hawaii is viewed and used historically by the United States as a strategic maritime location, a floating aircraft carrier, or an extension of the United States military power, and has been that way for the past 127 years of their history. This has allowed Konakamoli to be displaced from their lands. Today, they continue to be displaced and their lands desecrated by war and war games, such as the Rim of the Pacific exercises. Over 20% of the land in Hawaii is used by the U.S. military on Guam, which is viewed in much the same way. One third of the island is also used by the U.S. military to hold their Air Force base, their Navy base. And now, after being kicked out of Okinawa for the atrocities they committed there, also a Marine base. I actually just earlier, a couple weeks ago, attended a protest because my ancestors' bones were unceremoniously bagged up and sent to a laboratory without Chamorro input or knowledge in preparation for the marine base being built here. Can you imagine how mad white people would get if we did the same to their ancestors? Anyway, in the CNMI, where I am from, our northern islands, which were designated as a marine monument by George W. Bush before he went out of office, was a meaningless gesture because the exception to everything is the U.S. military being allowed to train there being allowed to bomb the islands and use them for live fire drills and other exercises just like Hawaii when President Barack Obama had designated a large swath of Hawaii's ocean to also become a marine monument. These past presidents who hold no ties to our islands told us, let me make a huge decision on your behalf. You're not allowed to fish here commercially or benefit from these pristine waters because I want to preserve it. However, if the military wants to bomb the waters, kill all the whales, there for the readiness of a land 8,000 miles away, that is a-okay. I will call it a monument and erect this monument for your people and for our nation. Or something like that. These monuments to me are empty promises. They are a trick of the mind. These monuments are monuments to war and not to the preservation of the environment like they were advertised to be. Why does the United States have a problem with monuments of confederacy toppling, of monuments of white men being destroyed, yet they have no problem with our monuments being destroyed? Why do they still actively use us as human shields, like Kavena said, as floating aircraft carriers, as targets, for the war they are getting closer to engaging in. We do not want to be used as targets. The privilege of being second-class citizens and not being able to vote and having a non-voting delegate in Washington, D.C., in Guam and the CNMI's case is not worth the target on our backs. Who will the delegate represent when North Korea makes true on their promise to destroy Guam? 
who will that delegate represent when Russia, China, and North Korea have an agenda against the United States and our islands are caught in the middle? Please tell me. Because we didn't want this. We never did. Hawaii is illegally occupied. Guahan is illegally occupied. American Samoa, the Federated States of Micronesia, and the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands are all illegally occupied in addition to all the other indigenous lands claimed by the U.S. to be theirs. The military's presence in our islands is unwanted for a reason. And let me just say for those people out there who want to paint us People like me who share these same ideas in a bad light. We do not fault individual service members for wanting to join, to escape oppression, or to better their economic situations. Our islands are kept in these horrible economic conditions and are a conveyor belt of fresh recruits to the military because of colonization and to keep our populations where in Guam, one in eight people are in the military, in their place. We do not fault our brothers, sisters, and siblings for wanting to make a better life for themselves. So when I say I dislike the military, I'm saying I dislike the military complex, the system of military top brass, and their history which has historically committed so many wrongs against our peoples. Bikini Atoll was bombed. The Marshall Islands, people born with birth defects. Chamorros of Guahan, born with birth defects. And have huge rates of cancer from Agent Orange exposure and old equipment that wasn't cleared from the war that leaked into a lagoon and took them 40 years to clean up. Ironically, with Obamacare not being extended to the territories, we are left scrambling to form medical fundraisers to send our loved ones off-island for care. Because our facilities on our islands are not equipped to deal with the after-effects of being associated with the United States. The island of Tinian was used to launch two bombs that killed so many thousands of innocent lives in Japan. The islands of Pagan and Farallon de Medinita bombed continuously for the readiness of a faraway nation. Lower-ranking members in the military have zero say, and so do the people living in these islands. And we will be kept that way if we don't learn our own histories and if we don't make an effort to support decolonization in our lands and in our Pacific Ocean. We must join hands and link up. And when we do, the power we could have collectively would be amazing. Speaking of the island of Farallon de Medinita, also known as FDM, there was an interesting peer-reviewed study done there, which was published in 2015, I believe, in the Marine Pollution Bulletin. I will include a link to it if you want to see for yourself. All I'm going to do is spill the tea. I mean, um, read the highlights to you. So the title is De Facto Marine Protection from a Navy Bombing Range. Farallon de Medinita, Mariana Archipelago, 1997 to 2012. So that we're all clear... De facto means in fact or in effect, whether by right or not. Okay, so de facto, in effect, marine protection from a Navy bombing range. Okay. This was authored by Stephen H. Smith, a ecologist who works for the U.S. Navy Space and Naval Warfare Systems Center, Pacific Energy and Environmental Sciences Group, United States. It was also authored by 
Donald Marks Jr., who works for the U.S. Navy Space and Naval Warfare Systems Center, Pacific Energy and Environmental Sciences Group, USA, as well. So apparently this paper uh, was uh, their only paper published for the both of them. Only Stephen H. Smith identifies as an ecologist, according to ResearchGate. Highlights of the paper. Between 1997 and 2012, 14 surveys were conducted at FDM. So, okay, 14 surveys between 1997 and 2012. So, in the span of 15 years, 14 surveys were conducted. Okay, so, so lacking one year. I get it. Annual surveys were conducted from 1999 to 2010. Okay, so every year surveys were conducted between 1999 to 2010. Okay, that's 11 years of data. Not bad. There was no evidence that any of the biological resources assessed had been impacted to a significant degree. Oh, oh, so, so it's saying that these surveys, which out of 15 years, there were 14 surveys done once a year, that this once a year survey was enough to properly assess the biological resources that FDM has to offer. And also this amount of surveys were enough to see the degree of impact. What a claim to make. But then again, this is their only published paper. You know, usually with someone's first published paper, you usually give them a a tiny bit of a break. But considering that this paper involves a place, a part of me, I don't think I'm going to give them a break. Restricted access has resulted in a de facto preserve effect and outweighs minor negative impacts from training. Okay, let's break this down. Restricted access results in a de facto preserve effect. So because they're restricting access because the military bombing this place, it is automatically preserved. So it's not, although it might not be in a preservation or in a preserve, it is basically a preserve because they are not allowing people to go there. So they're saying that restricted access outweighs minor negative impacts from training. So one, let's break this down, minor. So the the training impacts are minor. Bombing this island, using this island for training exercises, throwing torpedoes um, and grenades and all of that to this island, it's minor. That's the claim here. So minor negative impacts from training. So... It's saying that because we're restricting access to this island for war games and for war training, this restriction outweighs any other impacts from training. So it's basically, where's the positive here? I'm trying to find it. If they're restricting access, this preserves the environment and this restricted access outweighs the negative impacts from training. What about the indigenous people who should have access to this land? What about them? That's not the only option. It's very important to remember that there is another option. And the other option is that they don't bomb the freaking island. That locals, indigenous people who own these islands are able to have access to this island. That's the alternative. And they will not bomb this place. And yeah, they might come here and fish here. But guess what? That's their right. That's where they're from. They own it. You don't. They were there first. That's all my thoughts on that. Highlight. Next one. 
Abundance, health, and biomass of fishes and corals are comparable to or superior to those in similar habitats in the archipelago. That's good. Yeah, I would say so. FDM is fairly isolated from Saipan, which is the nearest inhabited island to it. I would expect that the biomass of fishes and corals would be comparable to or better, of course, because, I mean, nobody can live there because the military bombs there. What the heck? And here is my favorite favorite sentence, which is the very last one of the highlights. Our research suggests that the greatest threat to FDM's marine resources is from fishermen, not military training activities. You heard that right. They literally just said that. They said that military training activities, bombing this island, you know, using it for target practice, you know, using the waters around it for artillery and training and bombing. The greatest threat to the island's marine resources is from the locals. It's from the fishermen. The people who go there maybe once a month if they can afford the gas to go there. Their research suggests that that is the greatest threat to their marine resources. Did you? You're on the same page as me here, right? One, our research suggests, I read that paper. I didn't see anything suggesting that the greatest threat is from fishermen when you only go there once a year. That is not enough to establish a baseline. That is not enough to say anything about anything. You know that when you're doing science, the more data you get, the more times you go then the better and more accurate you can make these assumptions. But in 15 years to go there 14 times, I don't care how many times you dove. If you only went there 14 times in 15 years, you do not have the authority to establish a baseline about the fish biomass. That is really reaching. And also to assume that the greatest threat is from the fishermen who don't go there as often as the U.S. military goes there, as the U.S. Navy goes there. Because we cannot afford to do things like go to Farallon de Medinita. And anyway, even if we could, we can't because we're restricted from being there because it gets bombed. So that last sentence, that last throwaway sentence, really, really grinds my gears. And I'm one of those people that when I'm mad, I don't shout, I get quiet. In conclusion, this paper is a bunch of BS. And these two authors, I cannot believe that this paper has been cited and is allowed to go through the peer review process. Not to mention the fact that it was sponsored by the U.S. Navy Space and Naval Warfare Systems. The fact that the U.S. Navy is funding these studies and the team of people leading these studies are people who work for the military and they're publishing and saying that the U.S., that the threat to this resource is the indigenous locals, really should tell you something about the science that is done in these islands. It always serves a purpose. Those were my thoughts on that paper. And now, knowing everything you know about RIMPAC, militarization, and science, after hearing from the perspectives of two people who come from places that are directly impacted by the military... What are you going to do about it? What is enough? Let me just tell you what I do. I support these voices. I uplift 
Pacifica voices. I remember to keep an abundance mindset. I have enough love in my heart and passion for all of these causes and I understand that I don't have to have all the problems in my own home solved for me to care about problems elsewhere in the world. I keep in mind that I might not be able to help to the fullest extent that I want to, but I also know that I cannot sit by and live my life feeling like I should have done more. I really can't. I'm a Virgo and a Pacifica. So, anyway, I subscribe to the Cancel Rimpak Coalition on YouTube. I follow a few coalition members on Twitter, including Kavena, whose at I will put into the show notes. And you will also see him on our Twitter page, at The Pacific Pod. On Twitter, I try to denormalize the occupation in as many ways as I can, as well as in real life. I think about demilitarization. I ordered Craig Santos Perez's book, actually, and um, I follow the poets in that poem on Twitter and try to support all of their work as well. I submit public comments every time the military solicits for them, and I try to remember to always do that. The comments can be as short as three sentences, but uh, mine usually end up being half a page to a page and a half. I enjoy reading the comments, actually, that other people have posted as well because they are insightful and no one person can do it all. I have uh, attended protests this month on indigenous sovereignty, Um, more if you count the Black Lives Matter movement, which I also support because numbers are numbers. I show up to meetings if I hear about them. Usually I hear about them on Facebook and I keep Facebook only to find out about these meetings because the only thing I do on there is log on. Uh, I don't have the app. And then I will check the environmental groups that I'm in. I'll read what they're saying and then I will log off because I don't want my data to be tracked any more than it already is. I educate myself and I take care of my mental health because if I burn myself out, I won't be of much use to the movement, will I? Finally, I produce this episode to spread more awareness to you, my awesome Pacifica listener. I do this for you, for my islands, for my Kanaka Chetlus across the ocean struggling for sovereignty, for my Pacific that is struggling for sovereignty. This is the end of the episode. I thank you for your attention. To end this episode, let me repeat back to you once more the poem from earlier by D. Kiali'i Mackenzie. In a world without militarization, words like colonization and occupation become words used in the past tense. What possibilities emerge when we are free? Islands, a space for creative growth and true security. The entire Pacific Ocean, unafraid to breathe. Sainama Asi, and thank you for your attention. Let us know what you think.